Hello, you're listening to Miles Atmospheric. Uh, I'm from Atmospheric Existence Recordings here in the UK, uh, and I've been kindly invited uh, to do the Decisive Podcast number 71 uh, with my friend Roberto Q. Ingram, and I've also provided a DJ mix, which I hope you enjoy. Um, it's quite uh, a mix of vibes over the years and records that have meant a lot to me. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you soon. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Decisive Podcast series. This is episode number 71. It's April 15th, 2021. I'm happy to be back. Hopefully you're doing well during these trying times. I know it's tough. We need to get this vaccination out to everyone so we can get back to what we do, what we love to do, to communicate with other people, to get out to have some fun, to get out to release, get out to meet and greet, do some traveling, do some vacationing, spend some time with family abroad, you name it. But in the meantime and in between time, you are here with me, so let's get on with it. I want to introduce my guest today. He's one of the true unsung heroes of the UK techno scene. His name is Miles Signia, aka Miles Atmospheric. He is as much of a mesmerizing presence behind the decks as he is in the studio. And through his richly emotive releases, he weaves seamless stories out of the deepest house into the most spacious techno. He's a proud father and definitely not wet behind the ears. And with an interesting long-standing history in the music biz, he always seems to manage to stay in the game. He has countless releases since the 90s. His most recent, he dropped three atmospheric cuts entitled Defining Circles EP on well-revered John Dick Reed's Bedrock imprint and going deep into his own atmospheric existence label or sending out uniquely soulful techno messages for labels such as Applied Rhythmic Technology, Firescope, and Detroit's Aesthetic Audio. Big kudos to Miles for getting big respect from Jan Fitz. DJ, producer, journalist, and well-respected globally in her own right. And just as a reminder, don't forget to pick up Helen Copenhagen's Lotus is in the Sea of Fire on his label, Atmospheric Existence Recordings. That shit is hot, baby. Want to give you a big heads up for the throwbacks, our decisive podcast series throwbacks with interviews from all the artists that have been on the program since years. So that's Throwback Mondays at 11 a.m. Big shout out going to the Munich family, Gorgeous George, Jack Master Rob, D, DJ D, Bon Bon Voyage, Claire Granlun in Amsterdam, 912 in Amsterdam, my man, Hakim Murphy, Miles Surge, J-Lab in Berlin, The Real Techno Group, 50 Arc, Leah Floyers, Timeline Music UK Blitz. Telecom Beats, Genji Yoshida, Design, Cat Cat in Berlin. Big ups to all my brothers in our Wine O'Clock chats on Fridays. And all of you that support the Decisive series on all of our social media channels. Without further ado, let's get on with it with the Decisive Relaunch, episode number 71 with my guest, Miles Atmospheric. Well, Miles, um, I want to welcome you um, and thank you for taking the time out. I mean, on your your busy schedule doing this COVID time to be here on the Decisive Podcast Series, episode number 71. Thank you for chatting with me today. 
Thanks for having me, Roberto. Much appreciated. Um, I hope you're well, and um, I just want to know how you're doing through these, through these, uh, shall I say, mixed days, yeah. <laughs> creatively. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you okay? You okay though, right? I'm good. Basically. Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I just, you know, I've got uh, a family, so day to day I'm pretty occupied, you know. I'm kind of, I, I've always, my days are filled. Um, uh, creatively, uh, it, ha- I ha- it has its moments, you know. I t- the, the days of sort of writing music uh, w- when it kind of hits me seems to sort of pass temporarily. And it's more sort of uh, focused studio time. Where I kind of schedule in a time and give myself a few hours to just kind of get into the, the, the mood of it. And if I'm feeling it, then like I'll get get writing or try to do some. Um, and if not, I'll sack it off and do something else. Maybe make some records and then disappear off onto the hills. <laughs> it's amazing because we have to do a podcast when you're on the road. Normally, you'd probably be someplace stationary, <laughs> yeah. and you did have to do it within the car. So. So uh, everyone, exactly. that, yeah. So everyone that's listening, don't mind the uh, connection. It could come and go, and everyone's everyone's experience in this moment. So I'm sure it's not a shocker to anyone. So just want to just want to get that clear. Being a father, how are you managing during the lockdown? Um, how was how was your experience for ne- until now? Well, the first uh, initially uh, when it when it all happened. Uh, um, we were quite lucky because we just we sort of moved out of our our home temporarily. We had people coming to do building work, so we just decided to move out and not be chewing dust all day. So uh, we we moved to another place, and it happened to be near the sea. So uh, it was quite cool with lockdown. Loads of family walks every day. It was really too, you know we had quite a positive experience. I mean, it's quite difficult here with the children. Because the um, schools weren't really clear on. Oh, that's making it uh, tough for parents. Yeah, sending work. So we, we just uh, we basically just put our heads together and uh, sort of cobbled together some kind of mm-hmm. game plan to keep our daughter, daughter occupied. Um, but um, but yeah, it, it, to be fair, it was overwhelmingly a positive experience looking back for us family. Do you find, do you um, find it, yourself getting more creative when it comes to your daughter now? <laughs> Much more. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Play hopscotch. Much more. I mean, yeah, she's she's more she's more. Uh, you know, she's got a lot of talent already, and she, she's the one that's kind of motivating me to do things. She's wow. sort of singing all the time, walking around the house. You're hearing these musical notes, and you're thinking, "Hang on, this is like quite a, a advanced for mm. uh, a girl who's mm. who's not quite seven, mm. uh, and it's just, it's really inspiring." Um, so we've she's come up to the lab a few times and we've, she's like quite inquisitive about me um, sort of recording her and, and trying things and doing really basic sort of techniques of messing around uh-huh. and she uh, she's running with it and she loves it and it, you know she it, whether whether it's something that bites her and she carries on with it or not mm-hmm. she she's definitely musically blessed so um, that's inspiring to yeah, me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yes. But, uh, uh, that's it wonderful. has its moments, man. Beautiful. You know? <laughs> beautiful. Really testing, right? As a father. Yeah. Yeah. Super testing. I think. Um, I think since the whole lockdown thing and everything happened, uh, I just basically tried in my mind to become king of the routine. 
because it sort of felt that having some sort of daily routine for me it just worked really well and for and for the, you know my wife and daughter as well we just sort of uh, we had a bit of structure um, so we, we, we sort of filled our time and that, that really helped actually and usually we're not routine. that I like that yeah, usually we're quite we're quite loose and casual. We kind of go with the flow, but this um, it, it really, yeah, we kind of fell into this pattern, and um, I think we all sort of got quite creative, really. <laughs> do you ever? Yeah. Do you, do you feel like you have second thoughts about going on doing music, make doing music, or making music at all? Does that does that test you as well? Oh, so many times, yeah, so many times when I think, okay, well, I I got to the point in life. Now where uh, um, I don't sweat it anymore, you know, I, it just I, I'm with my life, and the more I don't focus on music um, and focus on the rest of the things that are going on around me, uh, I find it easier. It is, it sort of just comes to you, and you'll have a spare two hours, and it's just, it's more. I think if one's relaxed, I think, uh, I think that's the key, that's the key thing. Mm. Um, there's so much pressure to put on yourself, isn't there? Sometimes when you just feel a bit creative, you got you got to let the demon out. But did you? Did <laughs> and you, you try and then you you're sorry, distracted, you know? Yeah. So uh, have you been tested this deeply before in your life, in your career? Uh, yeah. I mean, I. I mean, you're doing the, something the, you're passionate about that you love, that you know you're good at, and and all of a sudden it's all been diminished to like what am i gonna do here now yeah i mean yeah you know there's a lot of that there's a yeah there is a lot of that but it but it kind of uh i've i've found that rather than having um i've sort of tried to analyze in my head what it is that i sort of crave what i miss what i you know need to have and i think a lot of it comes down to sort of social interaction you know okay uh, and out of the social interaction, those little moments of inspiration, and you, you sort of vibe off wherever you've gone or seen or something you've done, and, and it just, uh, and, and I find it just that the, the contacts that I've had with, with friends, and peers, and family, and stuff, they've been much more meaningful, and uh, you know they've kept they've mm. kept me going, sort of mm. thing, you know. That's that's kind of awesome that you recognize that because. When when COVID is gone, do you think you have we will all have way more respect for you know being next to our friends and being mindful and careful and making sure that you're keeping them close to you now yeah, and yeah. taking care. You'd like to think you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? You'd like to think that that would be a positive that came out of it. I mean, uh, yeah, I, it's a difficult one. I mean, it's. I because once I you're around, so. once you once you're around everyone all the day, every day, all the time, you get kind of spoiled and you forget a little bit until it's gone. You do, yeah, you or? do. Yeah, I think you do. I mean, we we uh, we moved uh, house uh, about three or four years ago mm -hmm. um, from or that was already quite a rural area to somewhere that was sort of quite out in the middle of nowhere. Um, we kind of moved out to sort of like near the welsh borders but it's very quite very peaceful very beautiful and um so we sort of became quite accustomed to um sort of social distancing in a sense okay um okay so uh we kind of sort of made our own entertainment and uh yeah it's uh we're obviously still connected but kind of living a daily life where you're not sort of right in the middle of it all the time um so for us 
afterwards, I think, you know, our feelings will be equally the same as they were before. But uh, I guess for people that crave it and they're in the buzz the whole time, mm-hmm. um, yeah, let's see what happens. I felt the same way when I was living in Los Angeles and to, it was kind of a downsize for me moving to Munich. And uh, I understand that, you know, I understand what you mean. Um, I've uh, And then once you downsize a little bit, you have a, you have, seem like you have more clarity in life a little bit more um i'm not, I know, i'm familiar with the countryside but i'm not sure if i could be i could be there <laughs> I like to, I, that's my i mean i i do i i'm a city guy yeah. and but i do appreciate so much to get away but i don't like to be like as you said i like to hustle and bustle and then disappear and then come back but i don't particularly care too much about living directly in the middle of it all no yeah or at least uh uh uh, having it um you know majority of the time i like to kind of separate from it so that i appreciate it more when i'm around a bunch of shall i say chaos (laughs) (laughs) yeah or that's a that's a lovely way of looking at it yeah you know what i mean um yeah um where were you born and raised well, I was born uh, in an outside place called uh, Hatfield, uh, just outside North London. Yeah. So it was out in the kind of the Hertfordshire semi-countryside, but uh, very close to, uh, you know, you could see the uh, kind of M25 area from where we lived and sort of, so the city was within reach, but we kind of, I was born and spent the first uh, nine years in that area and then the family moved up to uh, Cambridge Cambridge uh, and um, yeah so I spent a lot of time around that area and then uh, later on they decided to move to the uh, Shropshire which is a county uh, kind of up West Midlands sort of west of Birmingham (laughs) quite a good way Um, and so we sort of lived out again there was this kind of relative remote existence with my father's job was kind of going every couple of years from place to place mm-hmm. um, and then after that back down to London where for me it's it just kind of the, the music that I was always drawn to uh, that there was a lot coming out of there at the time and it just drew me to the city mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were mo- so were you consider yourself moving a lot? Oh, you were yeah, we did move. We did move quite a lot. Yeah, I did but um, too. I did I, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I think it, I think it makes you, um, you know, you do it. You, it, some people suffer with it, mm-hmm. moving around sort of too many times and having no roots right, and having right. like a like a base or a crew of people that you always. Around. I always had that, and I would always make an effort to keep 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 in touch with them. But um, I think on the whole, it, it just, uh, it's a nice, uh, it does, you become more adaptable, I think. Okay. In life. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. I think that adaptability is, uh, um, you, you know, you, you, you kind of, you can just roll with it. I, I just find I can just roll with it. Uh, I don't oh, know whether good. it is. That's good because yeah. some people, I, a lot of people, uh, okay, a lot of people that I've met also say they like, their hometown and they like their neighborhood me mm. i've also kind of moved around and just kind of got along 
where I'm at. So I always, so I always like to say, it's not where you're from, it's where you at. Because I also, yeah. <laughs> I also moved around with my mom. You know, uh, we were, we were, you know, we weren't rich and had a lot of money and things. So we, we we're moving a lot um, according to where the job took took us. And uh, and um, mm. you, uh, you kind of answered my question because I was going to ask you in short, tell us a little bit what it was like growing up and moving around. It wasn't that much of a burden on you as a kid, was it? Uh, well, I think I think it was. Uh, I had a lot of siblings, so for me, it, the, the kind of um, the, regards of with regards to friendships and stuff like that, it was. I had siblings. It was cool, very much like you know. We we always had to, each other to entertain, and um, okay. you know, like my older siblings, uh, kind of. Where we grew up, there was uh, you could just about pick up the pirate radio stations that were coming out of London because we were quite elevated. Mm-hmm. So, um, sort of in the late 80s, you know, they they were 10 years older than me, so they were getting to go to all the first big parties and uh, always coming back, uh, always with tapes and sort of give, drip feeding me tapes all the time and I was tuning into pirate radio. Right, right, right. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And so so um, I, wherever I was around there, I kind of, I locked into music quite young, that sort of thing. So it always, I always had that. And anywhere we ever moved, there was a, there was a, it had a similar movement going on or a record shop or something, some sort of local radio where you could access this kind of music. Um, so I never really felt uh, like I was displaced. Okay. Okay, nice. Nice. So you yeah. turned out to be a good guy then. You turned out to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Perfect. I, I understand you have a long uh, standing in music production and DJing as well. Uh, let's begin with the DJ experience. Um, have you been, I understand you've been collecting records for a long time too as well, right? A long time, yeah, very long time. Um, yeah, I sort of uh, start, started buying records, I think, when I was about 14. Why is that? Uh, I think mainly I, I just I used to go and shop um, shop like in, in at this market where I used to live, uh, like a high street English market town. So <laughs> oh, really? Market. And, and, yeah, and I used Not to a go record there, store, but a t- town. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, in the town they used to have shirt, uh, like t-shirts. I can't remember the name okay. of the place. Like t-shirts, like kind of. And uh, behind it, they had um, there was like a record shop mm. um, called Parliament Music. I think it was in Hartford. Uh, and it was uh, um, basically you could just hear sounds booming out of it every time you went there on a on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> so I naturally obviously gravitated in there uh-huh. and uh, was struck by the fact that there was just vinyl everywhere and massive speakers hanging off above the counter just booming music out uh-huh. uh, and uh, so I just was it I just used to go there on the weekends and, and uh, sort of got hooked into buying records and that was quite a long time ago obviously uh, sort of kind of 1992 1993 so it was a lot of um, kind of hardcore Oh really? Um, okay. Yeah, like old school, like British UK hardcore, uh, and then sort of like a, a sort of filtering of like yeah, 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 like New York sort of house as well, like strictly rhythm sort of that kind of uh, orbit of sound, mm-hmm. and um, and it sort of kind of developed into sort of jungle and and it was and then I kind of realised that 
you know, record shops weren't all about these certain kind of styles because I picked up on a couple of other ones that were local. There just seemed to be a lot of record shops in lots of market towns across mm -hmm. the country mm -hmm. in, the, in, in the UK. Anywhere you went, um, you could you could find somewhere that might, you know, have some good music. Um, so, um, we, uh, yeah, it, it just... Uh, I collected from then and went all the way through the uh, sort of the 90s buying records uh, and uh, sort of wherever I moved to uh, but the DJing sort of kicked off um, I sent off a couple of tapes mm. to a few people just mm. randomly because I was like oh, okay I'll send these tapes and see <laughs> what happens and uh, I, I one guy got back to me and was like I'm not. I'm not a promoter, but I just, you know, I'm doing the same thing myself, sending tapes out and stuff. Uh, so we just basically kicked, hooked it, hooked it up, and um, decided that it would probably be a good idea that we uh, maybe try to do a night ourselves. So how, <laughs> so how long have you been DJing? Uh, since about 1994. Yeah, um, but I start. I start started to think the first gig I had was in 1996. Um, and then it, then we uh, very quickly formed a, a little kind of paired residency at this little 120 capacity underground bunker of a venue in Cambridge called the Cube. So, what was your inspiration for even DJing? Yeah, I think I think it was uh, I think it was mainly just through the tapes initially um, because I couldn't sort of get. But I, I was sort of drawn to lots of different styles um, and then kind of got into uh, kind of drum and bass and you know jungle uh and then i kind of sort of discovered house and uh <laughs> yeah because from, I drum, of, from I drum and bass to house how does yeah, that, how does that even work i know i because I, I, I my brother used to um sort of always feed me like really good sort of house music from the late 80s but i think through my sort of early teens it just i just dropped off i was young i just kind of wanted that more you know energetic sound um, and then uh, it just kind of sort of plateaued and I found uh, started record shopping more heavily in London and ended up taking the train into London every weekend then you know sort of from the market town and into London then going into Soho and all the record shops in Soho and your, your favourite shop in Soho was? Uh, the fav favourite shop I think uh, back then was a shop called Tag Records Tag yeah, that, that was my favourite. I just kind of hit upon going to tag all the time. And um, Mark Mark Collins worked there and um, Swag Corian. Did you go to Swag at all? Swag Records? Yeah, I, swag, swag I sort of discovered a little bit later. Yeah, me too. Sort of um, uh, around sort of, I think it was around 1999. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I became very good friends with um, Liz, who unfortunately... You know, our dear Liz, who passed away yeah. a, a few years ago. Terrible. Um, but we were we were always in swag. Um, met a lot of people through swag, and the, the associated parties through swag. You know, uh, all the sort of wiggle crew, yeah. and the positive sound systems oh, down here in Brighton. Terry Francis and, and, and yeah. What's what's the other one up front from the resident Nathan, from, from, from Nathan Coles and Eddie yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Eddie's uh, great. Eddie. Um, Eddie signed one of Eddie signed, I think, our first uh, sort of commer real commercial kind of um, release actually in uh, 
for, for a CD he did, uh, Fabric, um, which is kind of like a sort of, you know, a current sort of sound of what he's done. And, and he, he's always been like a really big supporter, actually. Really lovely guy. Me and my friend that we started this production outfit together called Living City. So we just basically made really bouncy kind of house music when we lived together in Brighton. Um, and and Toby, he... he um, and then he hooked up with a guy who was um, worked running a club called The Boutique, which was called The Boutique Sound System. They did all this like kind of like uh, big beat music, uh, sort of like the from 2000-ish onwards. And it was they had uh, lots of different people coming and playing for it. Uh, and they used to do nights versus another night called Bugged Out. Uh, and uh, so we started playing for them loads. When you started professionally, was that your professional uh, experience when you started? Uh, were you getting paid playing these parties or were you just as fun? Did you have the? Did you have any su- doubts or insecurities about playing in front of people and taking pay? Yeah, I, yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, we uh, initially we were, we were very much the, what, the first parties that I was involved in for sort of three or four years mm-hmm. were we're very much like unpaid maybe at the end of it when we've paid everything off paid everyone but you know there might be a slice but you, you know you'll be lucky um and just be thankful that you um you didn't run at a loss um and then some parties nosedived you know those kind of experiences where playing to no one mm-hmm. you know and you're just like damn this is like what a waste you know you feel like you've got all this energy that's been put into um, you know, trying to get a vibe ready for this mentally for this this gig, right? Um, and uh, you know, for one reason or another, maybe out of your control or whatever, or maybe there's something's happened at the club. And, uh, so you know, more more. I can remember a lot of disappointments, but um, they were far outweighed by um, the good times. Okay, uh-huh. and the um, so, some some experiences that just suddenly things did start to escalate quite quickly and all of a sudden uh you know you're cutting your teeth making mistakes with playing playing honestly with integrity like from the with soul you know right and um you know and sometimes you, you, you sort of cut your teeth through years doing that and uh and then things open up so you find for me it was when uh, it was a point where i was actually having to really step it up um you know for getting a good fee Competition was getting, getting a good stiff. fee, and you know, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be a DJ. Everybody's grandmother, their kid, their child. <laughs> I mean, their dog. everybody's at this time. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, exactly. So, like every every um, every sort of uh, gig, every performance, you know, I, I tried to always kind of give it a focus. Mm-hmm. So I just I would just you know try mentally almost. Uh, well, you know, sometimes it goes to, uh, for me especially, in the, in the early days, it was all about finding the records I wanted to play on that night. Okay. You know, uh, very much like, wow, I've got like a kind of hundred nuggets here mm. and they're all, they're, they've all got, you know, the groove I'm looking for. I've got things on the flip side. Mm. I've got this, I've got that. I can go here, there, everywhere. And then uh, it sort of became more, uh, over time, um, more, more about just kind of what mood what mood I was in you know right. and thinking right I'm going to approach this a certain way you know I've got something to say maybe um, I'm going to try this I'm going to try that see what happens and um, it's 
for the most part, from what I can recall, it's always been receptive and, um, you know, it's kind of moved on to other gigs. Um, but I think over the years, it's like, for me, it's always been peaks and troughs and I've kind of learned to really enjoy that, uh, the sort of, the topography, the Same sort of here. shape of that vibe, you know? Same here. Uh, I, I kind of enjoy that now. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's cool. You get some really good ones and you get some not so good ones, but it's fun, you know. Um, do you, do you um, feel that having the DJ skills? How important is that to you? Is that is that important to get through these kind of moments? Because now we, you know, we're in the digital age and everyone's able to. It's easier. Uh, back back then, it was. Uh, Really, uh, yeah. You know, you really had to prove yourself, and you had to do a lot of practice. You had to do a lot of work to. You had to do a lot of work, yeah, to keep it tight, keep yeah. it tidy, be able to have real good movement and mm -hmm. a, a kind of a, an essence to, to a set that you're putting together. Because I think at the time there was a lot of records, vinyl records being sold. Yeah. People that were going to these nights, I think there's a certain passion about it. Ever, you know, majority of people could put records together a lot of the you know enthusiasm people that would be in attendance at these events were could you know mix and play records really well anyway so you kind of think um you know from a technical point of view i think you you try to keep his i think you're always kind of developing on that sense mm -hmm. i mean i i'd like to think i've got a, a nice skill set now in the way that i could approach different scenarios but um, there's always li there's always little things that I'm still learning, and I think the biggest thing that I've learned of late uh, is that feeling with music. Never, never, never really put, never really. Sometimes you, you try and work music together, which is great. That vibe is amazing. But sometimes you just, I find it fun to uh, be a bit more playful with the selections in front of me, um, and sort of be put in an unexpected situation. With Sonics and and have to kind of navigate my way through. I think that challenge makes me uh, much more on point and more interesting musically. How would you just how would you describe your style of DJ? My style, it's uh, I style it. I, I guess I, I like I like I do like transitions. Okay. You know, I like transitions. I like I like long blends. Uh, long blends. Uh, I, I try, um, depending on the style of music, really. Um, I mean, you know, if, you if I'm sort of playing house, then I, I sort of tend to focus on kind of um, drops and, you know, punchy, punchy sounds. And I always try and, always try and, I always do things with kind of an ethereal element in it okay. of some description, okay. uh, whether that's a, a, a vocal or. A sound or just a feel of groove. I try. I, I I tend to kind of gravitate towards that sound. For me, it's like a kind of it's like the pinnacle of the hill. Uh, it's okay. this, you know, and I, 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 I blending those sort of you know sounds together, I find really beautiful. I think it really does can open up that sort of vibe. Um, but uh, but I think uh, yeah, how would I describe it? Um, sometimes I can be quite heavy. Uh, with it um, and quite sort of uh, fragmented but I always try to keep things full of groove whether it's like full on techno 
or it's like a cerebral slow deep house you know or a mad electro i try to keep it uh, mm-hmm. what would what would be your favorite style okay how to say it? Yeah. what do i mean by that meaning that what do you feel that you do the best at uh from a djing perspective yes uh i think uh i think i like to build the intensity i like i like i like working the intensity i, I do tend to build that uh um that that's my I, i'm a bit i am a bit of a I try Trial to not area. be sometimes but i do end up journeying it quite a bit okay. you know um awesome. the journey for me is the 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 uh the sort of natural state okay so you would so so your style would be kind of a journey for type of vibe you like this yeah. this is something that you do well yeah okay the ju- the journey for me uh, and i like build sculpting a story for me as cliched as it may sound um it just uh for me that that that's the essence of uh, the sort of set that i want to hear when i when i'm throwing shapes you know <laughs> i don't know if it's cliche i just think that people that are dancing on the floor you telling them a story they can follow you especially if they understand the music culture um yeah. you know that story that that's kind of storytelling i don't care if it's rotterdam gaba drum and bass i don't care if it's hip-hop r&b soul whatever yeah st- they're still telling the story through history right yeah exactly of, of the, of the yeah. development of the of the of the sound i know this could be tough to a tough one to answer but can you recollect um what was the most important gig in what location till yet most important gig wow uh-huh. that's, the, that's an interesting one isn't it uh-huh. because I, because <laughs> I suppose it depends on your perspective my uh, perspective would mean like what gig put you on what gig was the one you you maybe shedded a tear because you knew that set was like oh this you know it was that one yeah. set that just you know you just knew it was it I can think of a few um, and I think from a point of view of playing records to people and connecting with people some of the ones uh, that have been really have stuck out so much for me have been some of the uh, free events some of the free parties that used to happen where you, you'd have like a sort of collective of people four or five hundred people on a beach or you know the sun's coming up mm-hmm. you can't see anyone right the system's rocking right. you you're playing sunrise sunrise sort of techno deep melodic really thought provoking and you know the mist is starting to clear <laughs> it's starting to get lighter it's kind of almost like you know those sort of spiritual moments right where you're playing records to people which are quite profound and, and far deeper than than any sort of gig uh, that I can recall that, that there needed to be a purpose, you know, mm. in my head. I, I needed to get this right because of this or this. Yeah. Um, I do that all the time. I needed to get it right I, because of this reason because I'm always trying to feel what they're feeling. I'm from a dancer's life and I was a professional dancer for a while so I'm always trying to uh, better make myself dance as uh, you know flexible as possible as diverse as possible yeah uh, and I'm so I'm always challenging myself when I'm on the when I'm playing to people um, because I know what it's like to be on the dance floor and you know really 
a DJ just take you out of your mind and you and, and especially if you know how to dance. Especially if you yeah. really, <laughs> if you really yeah. know what you're doing on the dance floor. <laughs> you know. And you're not you know, even though you you may could be spaced out on anything, but that's kind of how I approach DJing. It's like, you know, yeah. if, if I can't dance Yeah. If I can't dance to it, you're not gonna dance to it. Um, and yeah. if I'm wilding out, I hopefully you're wilding out on the same uh, emotions I'm wilding out on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your your working as a producer. First off, have you had any musical schooling at all? Yeah, I um when I was quite young, um my my mother thought it would be a good idea to um sort of try and see if I would be interested in any kind of instrument. So I think I was about four and a half, uh, and uh, suddenly the violin came into my life. Violin, violin, the violin. Yeah, awesome. I can I can hear that in your sound too. <laughs> I yeah. swear, I can hear. I, I can hear the orchestras in your music. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The violin, yeah, Got the it. violin came in, and, and it was, uh, you know, it, I was really, it was, it was the what started doing this activity. Where I wasn't around with my siblings, where, you know, it wasn't rough and tumble and, you know, kicking 10 bells out of each other right. or just being kids. Right. It was, um, it, it was like I was doing an activity where I had to concentrate and focus on something which wasn't physical. And, and, um, and I got really into it and, uh, yeah, started playing it in, with this little kind of, um, orchestra at school. And then, um, started doing through that started going to these playing in these mad places like um remember being like eight years old and playing in um st paul's cathedral in london this wow. big big geodesic dome building you know wow. st paul's and the sound um but about around that time uh, i started getting into playing the piano so i, I kind of did the two up till um about the age of 14. So it was kind of like it was sort of cla classical training, but I was quite loose. My, I, we never, I never really got too far up the grades. It was more just like jazz hands and messing around. <laughs> that was too much. That was too much discipline for you, or? It was too much. Yeah, it was too <laughs> formal for me. Yeah, right, right. It was too formal. Right. So um, when when finally uh, we we got a piano at home, which was the most amazing thing, um, uh, I started messing around on that. And um, and then I kind of that when I got to about fourteen, we you know my, me and my friends we were sharing a lot of tapes with each other and listening to lots of different music and it was kind of like a sound off you know it was real the real musical vibey age and I just kind of just sort of drew away from both of the disciplines of the violin and the piano and just got into listening to music and recording tapes and editing tapes and. That's wonderful. Spicy tapes. Yeah. That, that answers um, that answers a lot for me because I was listening to your music today and I was going around to listen to all of your uh, releases and I was going. <laughs> he sounds like a uh, uh, conductor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and then yeah. some of the mel the melodies and the, uh, just the hooks that you use. Um, with that said, what was your first studio hardware instrument you purchased? <coughs> Excuse me. The first one was um, I think it was a thirty eighty. Uh, Roland 3080, JXB3080, I think it was, like a module synth, um, which I basically bought, um, managed to save up and buy this thing, and I had a little simple, like, two-octave keyboard, 
and um, was just running a very basic kind of basic uh, kind of multi-track thing. Mm -hmm. And um, and I just spent like uh, I think six six months to a year just basically turning this turning this little box inside out. <laughs> <laughs> inside out that's the only and thing I, you I, had right <laughs> yeah I literally uh, uh -huh. and, uh, and I just got to know it inside out and I, I, I sort of realised after a while that I was actually you know beginning to get the beginnings of these compositions right. uh, um, just from this one box right um, so that was my first bit kit yeah awesome um, what is your go to your go to production tool at the moment the go-to tool. I mean, I think, I think at the moment, um, you know, put as a, as a curveball answer to that. Um, I've been going to my little field recorder, my Edirol R09. It's like nice. a little tiny, little tiny old school field recorder dictaphone thing, and um, I've just been finding that I don't, like that's my little inspiration station. Uh, oh really? You know, okay. Yeah, I just, I just because uh, I, it, it's, I, I've been, I've been going to it uh, to sort of initiate ideas just by field recordings. Um, so I've just, just been taking field recordings in and using sort of um, delay, delay process, process delays and reverbs and and just create, you know, sculpting kind of ghostly, uh, kind of almost like dub techno sounds really. As a, as a kind of begin, you know, bang. There's a there's a there's a kind of sound, a, a, a note notation, uh, and uh, and then just using that to to flow off. I think I'm quite I'm quite I work quite fast. Um, the equipment I use nowadays is quite sort of strict. I just basically keep a lot most pretty much most of it through my uh, a Mac. MacBook Pro. I understand you use Logic. Yeah, Logic. You know, sometimes it's like when you find a good way of working and then you kind of hone in on that and you sort of become your own master of it, in, in a sense. And uh, yeah, and I've got, you know, got some really close friends who, who've got some uh, studio, um, Helen Copnell and Charlie Tier, really close, both their family to, to, to us. And, uh, you know, and they're just, you know, full of toys. They've got so, one of the most amazing studios. <laughs> and I find myself in there being quite sort of taken aback. Um, and Charlie's, you know, he just knocks things up so fast on wow. stuff. And I, for me, I in that sort of scenario, I just tend to I tend to go straight for uh, straight straight for the melodic pads. I start off with a pad bass just to give me an idea of okay. what what bass line I'm going to go go off or. or um, with that musical yeah. theory you learned from uh, violin and piano. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I mean the, the stuff I learned, the stuff you learn back then as you grow up, you kind of you you, you sort of retain a lot of it. Of in, course you in, do. It's in there. Of course you do. Yeah. Um, so it's more of a. But but I I'm 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 a bit unorthodox about the way I approach production. Um, you know, I don't, there's no real sort of clear clear method. Uh, I just kind of attack attack it from a, a, a you know I start off with something and then it just it just it's just experimentation. You know. What what would uh, be your what would be your go to um, software synth for all those great sounds and melodies? It's in is it Logic? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I, would, uh, I use Logic, so I want to know. I want to know which one that is. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I use um, Ab 
Absinthe, Absinthe, which is quite yeah, quite interesting. Uh, yeah, and they just, just I, I use quite a lot of these old Rob Papen um, oh, yeah. uh, plugins. I, I like just using them because I find them so easy to just knock something up really quickly okay. with everything assigned. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for your drums, drums, uh, a lot of the dr- drum sounds are uh, old sample drum sounds okay. from um, just bits I bits I picked up. Um, field recordings that I've worked in uh, in Logic to create sort of uh, percussion banks um, some old bits of kit that I'd, friends have loaned me for a couple of weeks here a couple of weeks there I kind of try to get what I can out of certain okay. bits of kit and then just call it a day pass the kit back or whatever I've, ne- I've never really been one for sort of um, build- building up big collections at sort of a studio sort of thing I kind of I, lo- I always used I never had more than two or three bits of kit, mm. um, but then as time as time's gone on, um, I kind of just you know software for me. It just is like quite a beast. You lazy think, bums, man! What's all, we yeah. all la- we're getting really we're spoiled now. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I like I, I like Logic too, but I like to I have you know a certain amount of gear that yeah. um, I really want to learn outside. I want to learn differently. I want to learn in the box and learn out of the box and learn what machines mm. are. So whatever you're using software-wise, you know, you can apply that technique to the software in a, in a sense. Yeah. Um, so It'd be I, so good to work. So, I mean, I, I try when I can to get to the studio in London. Yeah. My friends run the uh, ArcMix studio. Yeah. They run 50 yeah. Arc, huh? Um, and just just vibing with my friend Charlie, we've got a concept about a project that we're going to do together, a live thing. So um, there's been a few things. What is it called? Uh, what the project? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, we call, we're just calling it Quadra. It's this it's this kind of this this form that we're trying to kind of bring to realization. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, he sent me over a load of stuff last week, um, which I've been vibing with straight away. And uh, and we're just going to have sort of periodic sessions in the studio down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I really, I'm, I'm I'm the same. I, you know, I'd really like to, to sort of learn boxes at, from the inside out again okay. and get back to that. Right, uh, right. I think a lot of it has been um, time, space. Um, but I think the time's right now where I, you know, I can get back into turning boxes inside out. Getting nervous. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. who, who, who would you say is your favorite producer and uh, influ- influential musician, past or present, or past to past to present? Uh, I'm saying, uh, in, in, I think I just think. People that spring to mind who have a certain kind of sort of subtle nuance in the way that they create music, that it's not necessarily a certain expectation of a sound or a sequence mm-hmm. or something hitting you where it's predicted. I, I like I like the element of it being random. Um, Rob Medell, Deep Chord, I, t- I tend to sort of gravitate, okay. always gravitate a lot towards his sort of sound. Um, the sort of uh, past 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 to present uh i think i think a lot of london sort of techno artists okay. uh, like bandulu and things like that in the oh, past yeah, yeah kind man of... bandulu is awesome man yeah yeah, I like yeah. This stuff. yeah I, I, that that sort of vibe um musician wise um 
there's so many. There's so many. I mean, off the top of my head, um, if I was to think what non-electronic music, um, I'd probably gravitate towards someone like Herbie Hancock, Herbie maybe. Hancock. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of uh, that that captured me at a point uh, in time, and it was a gateway to a lot of other stuff. Herbie Han- Herbie Hancock was the biggest influence on me to becoming a DJ because of his song Rocket and his DJ. I was dancer on Soul Train, and I was there when DJ DXT was scratching, and I blew. I was like, and I think it was a, no less than two months later. I had two turntables in the mixer. Wow, it was, there it, it is. Uh, it was, it was, it was just, uh, it was just amazing. Um, let's talk a little bit briefly about the birth of the label, uh, Atmospheric Exist Existence. Mm-hmm. You you started this label when and why? Um, well, it was. I started it uh, in, I think it was 2008. So, uh, yeah, and basically I just I just wanted to, I had sort of various experiences with, and uh, I, wa- I wanted to present a vision, a 360 degree vision, rather than just a, you know, a half vision, um, and be, you know, be able to, have an artistic hand in the way things are presented mm-hmm. uh, with artwork and the concept and the way that the, the the record the way that the tracks were released on the actual vinyl. I wanted to have have uh, you know play with the um, the idea of intros and outros and uh, so I guess I just wanted an expression conduit that I could could feel that I had no pressure on me. There was no expectation. Um, to just contribute and see if I could just go a bit wild artistically. Um, but then after that, you know, that vision, it kind of goes all over the place, you know what I mean? Because okay. you're receptive, receptive to hearing other people's music much more because you're thinking, okay, well, maybe the, something I could work something with this or, you know, um, bring different elements of different musical styles from different parts of the world and people together on this label um, and that that that's sort of a big who, part of it who else, really. who else released on the label Helen just released right yeah Helen Cottonall's just released um, amazing EP how did that uh, go like, <laughs> uh, yeah it's going well actually at the moment it's going well yeah um, it's been nice. a real uh, receptive uh, feel for it out there um, and it's just a real powerful um, powerful woman uh, powerful female sort of inspiring yeah, statement. Mm, oh yeah, oh, uh, yeah. And, it's, it, and it and it and it just it's uh, when when I first heard it, it absolutely blew me away. And um, and then we got chatting about it, and uh, I was honoured that Helen wanted to. You know, it was like, yeah, well, why not? Let's do it. You know, and put the project together. And she went away and, uh, quite a long time later. She came back with another track. Really, uh, you know, she. I love Helen. She's one of my closest friends, and um, uh, just a gentle grace to the way the project's gone. You have you have and, a num- you have a, 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 a good number of releases. What are some of the labels that you've released on? 
Some of them, yeah, I think, um, final sessions, finale sessions. Yeah, Renee's on. Yeah, finale sessions. Another, another one who's passed, Mike. Bless him. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, released on Kirk, uh, Kirk DiGiorgio's label, Applied Rhythmic Technology, ART, yes. which was a real a big, big one for me because oh, it was, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I met Kirk and, and, and rather than uh, it being uh, about, you know, and the way I've always worked with all these labels is, um, so, so, you know, you've had any sort of chat with them and rather than um, just passing on the music you've got sitting around in your hard drive or some tracks you've written that you think I, I always prefer to like build up a bit of dialogue and then go away and conjure up something with the label in mind right. just trying to be inspired to, to that sort of vibe and, that, and that's how I worked with Kirk and it was great um, and you know it's a bit just for me to just get on the same label as like what, where Carl Craig's one of his first releases was on or first release or and uh, some of the like luminaries that have released on that label, I think it, I think mine was number eleven in twenty years or something like that, or twelve or something. And Kirk had had another line of music going with various kind of uh, splinter labels from that or, or concepts of it. But um, yeah, for me, so Kirk, with Kirk released on uh, with Russ Gabriel's label, Ferox. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, what happened to Russ? He was Russ like, is the, yeah. He's he, he's last I he came to uh, he came to where we worked um, quite a long time ago now. Um, he's, and he's um, a quite picky guy there. He's, yeah, he's he's just like all over it. Really great guy again. Uh, I think he was building since. Oh, yeah, yeah. Into the oh, yeah. Building. Oh, yeah. yeah he was yeah, really getting geeky on there for me for a minute. Yeah, there. and like pro- proper, like uh, putting it together is like deep. So uh, I'm not sure what he's up to actually. I need to catch up with him. But um, yeah, released uh, quite a lot of labels. Uh, um, what, what's your what, what, what would be your most, I guess, uh, proud of release? What, what which release are your most? Well, I think I think uh, I think I've been so. I've, honestly, I can honestly say that I feel I have actually felt really proud about each time that I've okay. felt confident enough to pass these things on to people because okay. I do take it quite seriously when I'm doing it. Okay. Um, but the Sky Healer EP that I did for Stephen Ratu was one half of B12. He runs uh, this label called Firescape. Yeah, Firescape. And uh, it was a four-tracker thing, but he 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 does crazy artwork, uh, amazing artwork mad colored vinyl you know the, the whole thing is a, a sort of concept so for me i was really proud of though it's the first time the record had been presented so beautifully right um and, and that that that's what like where one that i'll look back on and think oh you know i'm really proud to be involved in that project creatively mm-hmm. um so those are the ones that stick out but then uh, you know i've released with james or ornate records who's another friend um some powerful stuff that I've given to him and felt, you know, uh, are you sure you really want it? You know? <laughs> um, yeah, lots of labels over the years. Nice. Actually. Well, congr- congratulations on all the releases. Um, I'm glad that I um, have been really uh, diving in deep to try to, uh, you know, kind of reach out to the free rotation crew, the 50 arc the timeline music crew all of these uh different um, channels that I've, i'm affiliated with but not 
uh, I wanted to get closer and, and a little bit more um, more inspiration on some of the sound and some of what is happening in England other than the drum and bass. Everybody's on the beat music at the moment. And so it was it was kind of interesting um, to dive in. And then I was uh, spending a lot of time on real techno in the real techno group. And then uh, I started working with uh, Keith also on uh, music, the universal language and with, for timeline music. And then I'm oh. discovering all you guys. And it's really nice uh, that I get to kind of uh, shift a little bit with the new decisive series um, with a new uh, we have a new, you know, I have a whole new um, concept coming up with a different look and different feel. And I'm blessed. I can say that I'm blessed uh, through, the, through the struggle to continue to keep going. Um, I'm, I've, I've been on lockdown myself, so it's not easy. It's really tough for me to maintain. But, um, I feel that we are all as creators and DJs and producers with family are we're going into another dimension and uh, we will things will not be the same as they were mm. so building relationships with other uh, like-minded artists and serious producers and um, and, and kind of uh, not having no fear to reach out and say hey let's do let's let's talk about what we enjoy the most and and how you and why you uh, continue to do what you do during the struggle with yeah with with the utmost uh professionalism and, and seriousness on on the in to the music um i have the uh, we're gonna end pretty soon here but i have a few funny questions i want you to ask in maybe one or two <laughs> maybe with one or two words or whatever really, really short okay okay here we go this is a quick q a all right funniest experience as a dj <laughs> my pants uh, fell down <laughs> I was jumping yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess maybe uh, lost and found <laughs> oh okay alright uh, uh, favorite pop song of all time oh, that's got me uh, favorite pop song of all time I'd say maybe she's a dream by the average white band there we go I struggle with that one too all the time Nine oh nine or eight oh eight. Nine oh nine. Rolling three oh three or SH one oh one. One oh one. Describe yourself in three words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that. <laughs> three words. Uh, considered dreamy. This is a good one. Can you beatbox for me? Beatbox. Beatbox. Yeah. Uh, I'll give it a go. Okay, let's go for it. <laughs> okay, really, really, really short. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good one. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Thank you so much for that one. Uh, um, do you have any other profession besides the DJ? And what do you do? to take care of your family what do you do to work for work well um a lot of a lot of stuff i do um sort of drips through music um and a bit of publishing as well just through um some sort of sync music work and we uh we started a brewery about six years ago making beer um and so we, we we're quite I, i'm quite into food and drink so um nice. I, I i deal a lot with um sort of creating food creating drinks 
um, and selling them. So that's that's kind of the the, the sort of bre- some of the bread and butter um, along alongside the music. Oh, nice one! And to end our interview here today, this wonderful interview with you, um, tell us a little bit about the DJ mix for the decisive podcast series today. What were you feeling? What was the vibe? What should we uh, take from it? Well, I just decided, uh, I, you know, trying to get a, a kind of a moment of calm in my household at times can be quite tricky with what's happening politically around the world at the moment. Um, just, you know, but we, we're getting much more time. My daughter's back at school. Um, so I just, I tend now with DJing, I'll, I'll pull out a hundred to a couple of hundred records off the shelves and place them over in the corner. And then just make sure I got a good cup of tea or something and make sure everything's set. <laughs> There's going to be no kind of post-mix dramas with, uh, you know, recording-wise. Um, so this one was just spontaneous, really. Um, just got it in there and gone for it. And uh, I really enjoyed it. The light was coming through the window. It was kind of a sunset vibe, a bit like now, really. Um, I just felt like, you know, summer was coming, mm-hmm. you know, the flowers are growing. Mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> nice. Things, you know, I just decided to spice, get in there and spice it up a little bit and just go for it. Um, and that's the, the end result. So is it, so it's journeyful? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's fairly, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of old favourites on there. There's a lot of uh, records that have meant a lot to me um, that I've, Got on there, uh, and and I just wanted to sort of give a give a basic uh, a little a little insight into the kind of uh, the shape in which I sort of play. Nice one, Miles. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate your uh, yeah your your time and and you. Uh, I know you had a long day today, and you <laughs> you must be a bit hungry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I really appreciate I really appreciate you. Thank you for being here for the Decisive Podcast Series number seventy one. Thank you for having me, Roberto. Thank you very much. I'll speak soon. Let's 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 do that. <laughs>